Support for today's Heat Treat Radio episode is provided by Aerospace Testing and Pyrometry. Offering the highest quality of calibration and testing services, check out their new aerospace compliance software. Need excellent pyrometry solutions? Go to www.atp-cal.com. Again, that's www.atp-cal.com. Welcome to Heat Treat Radio. Today, I'm your host, Bethany Funk, editor of Heat Treat Radio. We are continuing a four-part conversation series on CQI9 with Heat Treat Today publisher, Doug Glenn, and CQI9 experts, Justin Rizuski of Controls Service and James Hawthorne of Acumen Group Steel. If you are looking for more interesting and timely content, make sure you are subscribed to Heat Treat Today's print editions. The February Air and Atmospheres issue is coming to your doorstep or your computer screen. More on this feature at the end of today's episode. Now, let's jump into today's conversation. Welcome, everybody. We are here again today with Justin Rudzutsky from Controls Service and James Hawthorne from Acumen Global Technologies. We're here to talk about CQI9. Uh, and I'm going to ask in just a minute, I'm going to ask Justin just to give us the 30,000-foot view of CQI9 once again. Uh, but I did want to just reintroduce these gentlemen uh, we and remind the listeners that we have actually recorded two previous episodes of Heat Treat Radio on CQI9. In the first episode on CQI 9 Revision 4, we covered pyrometry, and Justin mainly covered it because he's the expert in this area. And in the second episode, we spoke primarily with James, and he shared about changes in the Heat Treat System Assessments, HTSAs, and Job Audits areas. Justin, if you don't mind, would you please review with us from 30,000 foot just exactly what CQI 9 is? It's essentially three primary sections of the document. You have your heat treat system assessment, which is often abbreviated as the HTSA. You have the pyrometry section, and then you'll have the process tables. The job audit is also something that needs to be completed on an annual basis. You know, so probably like section or like a a minor section to the document, but still nonetheless. So today we're going to talk about process tables and some other support uh, portions of of the spec. So let's jump in right away. James, if you don't mind, maybe you can just talk to us a bit about what are these process tables and why are they important? All right. Thank you, Doug. Um, yeah, I can uh, I can uh, walk us through that. So, so the HTSA, and I'm just going to start here very briefly, covers... Uh, the heat treat uh, system and assessing that system. But there are very unique uh, of the different processes that are covered by CQI-9. So, so those items is, are, those are captured in the process table section of the uh, CQI-9 document. Um, it covers things for process table A, it covers uh, carburizing, carbonitrating, uh, carbon restoration, Oz tempering, uh, precipitation hardening, or aging. Um, you've got sections like uh, like B. It covers uh, nitrating uh, and FNC, so phonetic, phonetic, 
Ferritic nitro carburizing. I'll help yes, you with I'll, that one. I'll get it right. I'll get it right one way or another. Um, you know, and then you have uh, t- uh, process table C covers aluminum. Um, process table D covers induction. Process table E covers things like uh, annealing, normalizing, and stress relief. And, and we go all the way up to process table I. So there's a, a process table for each uh, unique type of uh, heat treat that is out there in the industry. And, and this allows uh, some very specific uh, topics to be covered in those types of, in those types of uh, processes. And, and they all cover pretty much the same thing. So uh, I'll go back to just to run through the, the headers of uh, process table A. The first portion of it is process and test equipment requirements. So what are the rules of engagement for those items? Uh, the, the same thing for pyrometry. There's, there's specific call-outs in the process tables that you have to go, and if it is part of your system, you have to play by these rules. And some of them will point you to specific sections of pyrometry. So if you're looking at, uh, uh, you know, the thermocouple and calibration of thermocouples, uh, the, the process table is going to tell you that you shall conform to section P3.1, which covers uh, all of those. Um, it also covers the, uh, the uh, process monitoring frequencies. So how often do you have to check your temperatures mm-hmm. and what are the rules of engagement? And, and it calls out specifically each portion that may be included in that type of process. So if you have a batch style furnace that covers that process, it has certain rules for you to manage your batch process. Uh, if it's a continuous furnace, you have certain rules on how you would manage that continuous. And then for if if if, if your process has like uh, an endothermic or an exothermic uh, generator or even uh, uh, some type of uh, 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 nitrogen methanol system, there are rules for rules of engagement on on how to manage the or or review that system for for those items. And then you get into uh, things like inspection, so your uh, your uh, in process and final test parameters. That's also covered here, and then and then the last portion of it in section or or yeah section five of the process table is you get into things like your quenchant and solution test parameters and what are the rules for for checking that. And what's really nice about the document is as you traverse the document, you have you know for instance we have. Uh, in the quenchant and solution test parameters, it's A5.1. The next column over it tells you what is the related HTSA question. So it, it, it's set up in a way to where you can go to the HTSA right from the process table and see if you're compliant to, the, to what's listed there as the shell statements and the requirements or the frequencies for checking those. Okay, so that 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 really answers another question I think we were going to address, and that's how do those process tables work with the HTSA? So it sounds like they're in a sense cross-indexed. Is that is that essentially it? That's correct, Doug. And and you know, like we spoke about in the uh, the, the last uh, uh, interview that we were talking about the job audit. The job audit set up the same way. Uh-huh. It has that same column. It tells you what the related question is, and it and it affords you the ability to easily traverse the document from 
from the questions in the HDSA to the requirements in the uh, process tables. Yeah. Justin, anything else from you on that? Yeah, the way that I typically frame it up for for my customers that are are just getting familiar with uh, with CQI nine is that they're the process tables essentially define two things, and that's your your tolerances for process and test parameters, and then also the second one being your your frequencies for those uh, process test parameters and, and and testing parts, and that uh, they're specific to each heat treat process. So there, as, as James had mentioned, there are nine process tables. The requirements in each of those process tables are going to be specific to that process. And the HTSA, uh, how that varies, is that the requirements within the HTSA are intended to be you know, broad and generic. They're, they're intended to be applicable to you know, any organization performing one of those you know, heat treat processes. Um, and then as you go through and start working the HTSA, you're going to have, as, as James was also saying, you'll be notified when to refer to the process table for you know some specific aspect of the tolerance or frequency for that uh, particular requirement. Okay, all right. Sounds like the sounds like the spec. There's been a lot of work put into the cross referencing, making it simple, making it user friendly, right? So that when you're whether you're in the process table, whether you're in the HTSA, you can quickly and easily find the portion in the other section of the spec that applies to what you're doing. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Doug. I mean, plus it, it it does it does afford you the opportunity to find compliance uh, in a simpler fashion. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And then and then to also specify uh, tolerances and frequencies that are appropriate for that given process. Whereas you know, if I'm heat treating aluminum, I might have a tighter tolerance than that of you know hardening steel. Right. They're, right. they're two very different processes susceptible to, to different things. So the, the, the values there need to be different. Right. Okay, good. So when you're looking at the changes that you made from or the changes that were made from Rev 3 to Rev 4 with these process tables, anything jump out at you? What are the major changes that were made there? I think one of the the most notable changes is the uh, is is an item that wasn't changed actually, which was that the the formatting and grading system was retained from the third edition. Um, the primary focus of our efforts and uh, with the process tables this go around was, as we've stated uh, time and time again in, in previous uh, interviews here, is to enhance that clarity. The most notable change from a, an, an addition of requirement across many of the process tables was the added requirement to uh, continuously monitor and record uh, that temperature control uh, signal for generators. Mm-hmm. So atmosp- atmospheric generators, uh, that that temperature side of thing now needs to not just be monitored, but also recorded. So having taken just just what we've heard today about the about the process tables, Thinking back to what we covered in the last section on the HTSAs and going back, Justin, even to your first interview that we did, first episode that we did on pyrometry, there's there, there seems like a lot of stuff here. I mean, I guess this, what, CQI9 comes in at 115 pages long. I'm yeah. guessing there are going to be people that, that start dipping their big toe into this thing and go, what the heck, you know, what – I'm struggling here. I don't understand. <laughs> you know what? What's required of me? So, from what we talked about before we hit the record button here, 
there are some other very helpful things in this spec besides these table of requirements and things of that sort. Can you let, let's let's talk about those a little bit. What are some of those other resources that will help simplify the the execution of these of this uh, spec? There's a lot to it, but the the intent, the underlying intent, was not to confuse or you know bombard you know the uh, the organization with. Uh, you know, unnecessary rules and, and just allowing them to to figure it out on their own. Like everything goes through a stink test of sorts as we're writing this writing this up. Everything has to make sense to us. If it doesn't, you know, it's 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 typically not added in or it's it's refined and beat up until it is added in. And then once it's added in, it's okay. What can we do? What other things you know would be uh, helpful to the end user to make sure that they're adhering to these things, that they understand it to a point where they they can adhere to it. You know, it it's not uncommon for me to. To, to find that you know my customers, they, they have no problem following the rules so long as they know what they are and they can understand them and they make yeah. sense. And so, trying to convey that, trying to uh, to get that buy-in, um, we've we've added a few elements, we've refined some that were there just to try to to you know encourage that that buy-in. And I, th- I think the other other than you know some of the, the reference illustrations, I, th- I think the most significant one, and it's perhaps the the section within. The document I reference most, it's the uh, the glossary of terms. Uh-huh. Uh, there, yeah. There's a, a lot of really good information in there, you know, and it's it's not that I'm referencing the glossary of terms because I don't understand what the word calibration means or, you know, what the difference is between a controlling uh, thermocouple and a monitoring thermocouple. It's that how did we define those terms uh, relative to, to CQI-9 from, in terms of CQI-9? How did we intend that word to be utilized? Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can find those little bits of detail that that make it easier to understand or to capture what some of the requirements are for you know that's noted within the the rest of the main document. There there is uh, there's also some illustrations added to the glossary as well. So okay. you know the, those are things that are uh, there was a couple there before, but there was a there was some refinement to those uh, illustrations that are in there and. And and even you know those those harder to define uh, portions where we put those illustrations to help uh, drive home the message that that or the intent of the message, and I think that was done very well in that uh, in that glossary section. Yeah. So, so would you would you say, James, that that's the major? Is that the major change to the glossary, or are there are there other things that that changed there? Well, I mean, the entire document, uh, we went through it from cover to cover. So there yeah. are many, many minor changes across the board. But but there were some definitions uh, that were added to the glossary uh, as questions came up during our normal meeting uh, cycles or, or that came from... Uh, uh, end users asking on how that how we would define something, and as those questions come in, we added the we added those definitions to to help with that guidance. Uh, especially if we came across, you know, as Justin said, we're we're talking about something in the meetings, and we're 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 hammering away at it, hammering away at it, and and while we have it we have it digested in the room, we understand what we mean. It's like, okay, how do we send this message to the to the rest of the, the yeah. users out there in the world? All right. The glossary ended up being a great place for items like that as well. You okay. know? Right. Yeah. And so instead of using, you know, six paragraphs to describe a, a certain requirement or whatnot, it's like, okay, just use the 
use proper terminology and then let's define you know adequately that those terms you know which may be you know contested or you know not fully understood immediately in the glossary of terms so that there is a clear idea of what it is we're trying to get across here and not have to you know make this thing uh you know 185 pages a real good example of things added into the to the glossary would be terms that you know perhaps we all take for granted, you know, they're like, oh, hey, I understand what it means. But when you all of a sudden you pull 10 different people, their their definitions just slightly different. Like <laughs> um, like grace periods was a word that we added into the to the glossary. Not that that's an overly complicated term to understand, but in, in, relative to the document, it, it can have a, an, an impact on, on, on how it is you interpret those certain requirements and, and what it is that it means for you. Um, RTD was another one added in there, you know, from a, a, a sensor standpoint. Um, and I think that one that might get some attention is the uh, inclusion of sintering and sinter hardening. There was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a fair amount of uh, contention on the sintering side of things that CQI9 wouldn't apply. But then we included sinter hardening and we didn't necessarily define what the difference between the two processes. So now there's a distinction made and it's included in the glossary. As far as the glossary goes then, I guess my question is, any guidance on when it should be used? Uh, personally, I would say as often as possible. Um, it's, it is a incredibly overlooked uh, portion of this document. It's, it's amazing how much uh, confusion can resolve just from uh, misunderstanding a, a word that was used. Um, it's it's not necessarily, again, like an example of grace periods. It's not necessarily that I don't understand what grace periods mean. It's that I want to know what grace periods mean, you know, specific to CQI9. How is it intended to be utilized? And, and my definition might be different. So I want to make sure that I'm aligning myself with the definition of the word as it as it's defined within, you know, uh, isn't there like a statement at the beginning of the glossary? It says, in the context of this document, the following definition shall apply. First sentence within the glossary. So it's within the context of this document. I might have a different context of that word, but it doesn't matter what my definition of it. The only thing that matters is how it's defined within this book, the context of this document. So gotcha. So that's a, so that's a good encouragement to have people refer to that glossary. Even if you think you know what the word means, probably not a bad idea to make sure you understand how it's being used in this document, and you know, don't don't uh, impose your own definition. 100%. Yeah, well, one of the things I would offer as well, I mean, I, I totally agree with what Justin's saying, and and I think this speaks volumes or, or reinforces the things that we've talked about already on how uh, one portion of the document supports the other portion of the document and supports the other side. And I mean, this document through and through supports itself. Yeah, let's, let, that's good. Thank you, James. So let, let's jump to uh, instructions. You know, probably the most important part of any any spec is and any document really is the instructions. Let's talk about those for a minute, including maybe references, illustrations, and figures, things of that sort. Major changes. What 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 should we know about instructions, reference, illustrations, and figures? There are these support elements within the document that we've we've spoken about the with the glossary of terms and, and whatnot. But there's also instances of where instructions are called out perform something, step-by-step instructions on, on how to do something so that you can feel confident that you're doing it correctly. Um, like there are HT, you know, for doing the HTSA, the, the heat treat system uh, assessment, there's instructions for completing that, with the, the process for, for going about doing the, the assessment there, or even as simply as, as completing the cover sheet 
for the for the document or the job audit. You know, there are instructions included throughout to try to encourage and you know support someone's effort uh, adhering to the requirements in the document. Good. How about and then how about references? Let's talk about references, illustrations, figures. The uh, within the pyrometry section uh, specifically, there are uh, a lot of instances of of illustrations, like for the system accuracy testing uh, illustrations. The intent again is instructional. It's to allow uh, someone a means of seeing it visually, how it how it's to be performed, how to correctly perform it. So whether it's a probe method A system accuracy test versus a probe method B system accuracy test, the illustrations included now are. Um, a bit more clear, um, uh, refined. The, the, the focus was on eliminating uh, you know, anything that was unnecessary from that illustration to, to allow the user to more easily focus on those elements that are that are critical. So users will find a, a lot of improved reference illustrations throughout the pyrometry section. And again, those should be utilized too, just to ensure you, you might have no issues uh, performing a system accuracy test and been performing them for you know you know some period of time it, it's still pretty good to make sure that you or still a pretty good idea to make sure that you're doing it in the manner which CQI9 requires you know to see if there's anything in there for for added guidance to make sure that you're not overlooking something um, and and that includes math you know just the, the simple math to perform one of those uh, tests so those are also illustrated to to show you know, a progression of how, of how to go about doing that test properly. Okay, great, great. Okay, uh, let's let me ask you one other quickie here. Uh, other other guidance, I think, is the are, are there other things that we should be thinking? Other resources within the spec that uh, are available um, to help well, the user. <laughs> Yeah, if 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 the if there's still confusion, it, it's not hopeless. Um, there are other means by which people reach out to try to get clarification on different in, interpretations of, of of requirements. James and I just recently participated in a in a, in a rollout where at the the conclusion we had a, a Q and A where people brought their um, questions uh, regarding you know. Conf confusion around certain requirements, and we provide uh, answers from a you know, from a clarity standpoint. So that doesn't just go away, or it's not just you know available at, at special events like uh, like the rollout. Uh, at any time, people can and often do email into the AIAG um, with their questions, looking for for guidance on certain matters. Um, so if it's something as simple as a, I, I don't understand, you know, question, you know, two one four. Uh, okay, well, write right. in and, and ask the question. You know, see if you can get some additional guidance. Um, if it's, hey, I don't understand pyrometry. Okay, it's a bit of a broader term one, and, and you're probably not going to like the answer you get back. Um, <laughs> or it's, you're probably not going to find the answer in or what you're looking for in the answer you get back. Um, but there are many other sources for support outside of the document. So if the document doesn't have enough, there, look outside the document. The AIG is one of those sources. Your customer is another one. If you work with outside, you know, uh, service providers, and again, I'm speaking from my world of things, pyrometry. If you work with a third-party provider, lean on them, you know, for for guidance yeah. on things you don't understand, because they're, I have I have my nose in these documents constantly, so you know, my understanding of it is is, is pretty all right, um, and and I can afford some additional guidance or or interpretation. The, I guess the the advice I would have is, 
don't necessarily just just jump at something blindly and say, oh, okay, that, that's going to be yeah. enough. You're going to want to have some some something behind you to give a little bit of a you know a, a bit more than that, like to have some confidence in what it is you're doing. Otherwise, right. you know, it's things have a tendency to snowball on you. Yeah, yeah. Don't just run. Don't just run off. Maybe get some get some additional guidance. When we return, Justin and James will continue to share what changes the team made to the CQI9 process tables, and then talk about how you can contribute to Rev5. But first, how would you like to streamline your compliance process? Aerospace Testing and Pyrometry's newly released aerospace compliance software is a customized pyrometry platform that creates accurate and timely electronic records to keep you in compliance. It hits all of the CQI9 requirements in addition to AMS 2750F, Boeing's BAC 5621, Saffron PR0011, General Electric Aviation's P10, TF3, and more. You can even customize it to the requirements you need. If you need a clear and direct compliance strategy, contact Aerospace Testing and Pyrometry today about their aerospace compliance software. Go to www.atp-cal.com forward slash aerospace hyphen compliance hyphen software. Again, that's www.atp-cal.com forward slash aerospace hyphen compliance hyphen software. Now let's finish today's podcast on changes to the CQI9 process tables. Let's say you've got a user who has a suggestion uh, because these these documents are kind of I don't want to say living documents, but I will like living documents. They're continually evolving. Let's say somebody's got a suggestion for a change that they would like to see made in a future Rev Five. Let's not let's not rush Rev Five, but let, you know let's please. <laughs> let's say they have a they have a suggestion for Rev Five. What what should they do? At the back of the book we have what's called a maintenance request form. The maintenance request form is a, uh, a very uh, short but sweet form that's set up to allow the users of the document the ability to put in uh, what they believe a change uh, should be and, and submit it to the committee for review. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this would give them the... the, the uh, forum to always have their voice heard and and how they feel or they believe something should be uh, should be managed um, to kind of go back to what we were just briefly talking about I mean we still meet at a you know at a quarterly frequency with the CQI9 technical committee and uh, you know as Justin alluded to we had questions from the rollout we we could during the rollout but a good portion of our first post-completion meeting, we were answering questions for uh, for the heat treater at large uh, to to help give that clarification. And when we come across the question, I think we came across a couple of them in our last meeting where, you know, it was well, we we don't really know what the person's asking or or what they're looking for, so we we give those questions back to. Uh, our AIAG representative, and they can reach out to that person and say, okay, give us some clarity on what you're looking for so we can give you the best answer possible and not just dilute it with, with uh, you know, potentially answering a question just for the sake of answering the question. Right. So, so there, there's, there's a lot of opportunity there. And these things, 
these maintenance request forms as they come in, that's the way they'll be handled. They'll be handled with the committee uh, and, and the group will work on it and, and develop the best answer. Now that answer may be, you know, let's, let's look at making a change, you know, whether that's through some form of errata or, or uh, putting on the shelf until, you know, hopefully a long time from now we look at a fifth edition, but, um, but, but it does give us the ability to capture these things and make sure that it stays, uh, it stays on the, the list of things or, or the radar, if you will, because there, there may be some things we don't ever want to fall off our radar. We want to make sure that they're, they're, uh, they're taken care of with that uh, urgency that's needed. Yeah. Okay. And I, I think an item on note here too, to, to make sure it's clear is that it, any of those maintenance request forms that are, that are sent in, all of them are reviewed by the technical committee. They're all reviewed. So anything okay. submitted will make its way in front of that committee to, to be reviewed, to be a, you know, an item on that agenda for the day. When should these forms be? Is it just just for document changes, or for you know for other things as well, for you know suggestions and whatnot? It's doc change as well, but it's it's also a bit of a like a suggestion box form. Okay. Last question for you. Any any concluding? I mean, we've covered a lot. We've covered a lot in this in this this third episode. We're going to have a fourth episode, which is going to deal with you know some practical tips from you guys. Uh, on on actual execution of these things, but is are there is there anything else that you would want to tell the listeners regarding the spec itself? Any other concluding comments? Um, from a from a process table standpoint, um, I mean, this was something that was reiterated through, throughout the entire rollout presentation. But it, it really does take reading the entire document to capture all of the changes because some of them you know are are, are quite minor. And some of them stand out as, as being significant, you know, but for the most part, they're, they're, they're minor. And, and sometimes minor ones can be very easy to overlook, like the there used to be requirements for, you know, calibrating your, your hardness testers on an annual basis. Those requirements now have been expanded to all lab and test equipment that, that, that require an annual calibration. Um, another element that was uh, included in the fourth edition was a, we made an effort to increase the clarity of and, and guidance for the use of uh, exceptions, um, you know, exceptions that are you know applicable to you know your section four requirements of your process tables. Um, you know, these are like things like a, you're employing a, a surrogate test piece in lieu of sectioning some large or expensive you know product. Uh, the, the one item to make sure of note, and if, if anyone's interested, in the the the, the clarity is included on page nine um, but uh, just make note that this, these aren't blanket requirements like it, it's not a, a requirement blanket uh, these exceptions require customer approval and, and ultimately OEM approval so they they, they must be documented and, and the approved by a customer uh, and included in your your PPAP control plan so it's there, there are a lot of additional uh, there's a, there's a, a fair amount of added clarity on that topic. So that's something people might want to take a look in and, and dive into just to make sure that they're familiar with. All right. Great. James, anything, any concluding comments from your side? Yeah, I, I think I'd just reinforce uh, uh, a little bit of what, what Justin was uh, mentioning earlier, you know, read the document, uh, 
read as much of it as you can. Try to uh, try to understand as much as you possibly can. Um, there, there, you know, we made a lot of changes. Some of them very minor, but some of those minor things could potentially be overlooked if you don't, you know, just step back and take a moment to to read the document and understand the document and then understand how each each system or each portion of the document works with each other. Yep. Good, good. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much. That's great. Good, good content. So for those of you listening, we need to be thinking about the next episode that we're going to be doing. Next episode is going to have some practical tips. We're going to pick the brains of these two gentlemen on some practical helps in navigating revision four. You won't want to miss it. It's going to be uh, opportunities here to, to, uh, uh, basically, you know, figure out figure out some of the details. If you have questions, this might be a good opportunity. If you have questions, feel free to send them in, email them to us. You can email htt at heattreattoday.com if you have any questions, and maybe we get those answered. Uh, but uh, otherwise, gentlemen, thank you very much. Justin, appreciate it. James, thank you for your expertise. Yeah, thank you as well. All right. Thank you, Doug. You guys have a great day. We hope you enjoyed today's Heat Treat Radio episode. If you'd like to hear the first two episodes in what will be a four-part series, head over to www.heattreattoday.com forward slash radio and look for Justin Rizuski. Or you can simply Bing or Google Heat Treat Radio Rizuski, R-Y-D-Z-E-W-S-K-I, and it should be one of the first things that pops up. To learn more about today's guests, visit Justin Rizuski's company website at www.controlsservice.com and James Hawthorne's at www.acumen.com. That's A-C-U-M-E-N-T.com. You can also send an email to me, Heat Treat Radio's editor, and I'll put you in touch with either of these two guys. My email is bethany at heattreattoday.com. We are always interested in new Heat Treat Radio topics, so send me an email with what you find fascinating, and we can cover it in a future Heat Treat Radio episode. Additionally, if you'd like to be a sponsor of a future episode, send me a brief email and I'll be in touch. Again, my email is bethany at heattreattoday.com. If you're looking for technical articles, the latest chatter in the Heat Treat, or a quick rundown of equipment to buy, check out Heat Treat Today's February Air and Atmosphere issue. If you are not already subscribed to any of our media, go to heattreattoday.com forward slash subscribe and sign up to receive the print or digital magazine or email Ellen Porter at ellen at heattreattoday.com to refine your preferences. New process tables, have you worried? Well, don't. Just ask Aerospace Testing and Pyrometry for their newly released Aerospace Compliance software. Heatry today would like to thank Aerospace Testing and Pyrometry for their support of this broadcast. Find out more at www.atp-cal.com. Once more, that's www.atp-cal.com. This and every other episode of Heat Treat Radio is the sole property of Heat Treat Today and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without advance written permission from Heat Treat Today. Jonathan Lloyd, audio producer extraordinaire, created and mixed most of the music that you heard today. Check out his professional work at www.jonathanlloydmusic.com. Thank you, Jonathan. And I'm your host, Bethany Funk. <laughs>